Tonight, we're in the middle of a series called More, and it's a series about the Holy Spirit that has come to us by popular request from the Thrive Leadership Team. And the reason we're calling the series More is because the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who takes the things of God and makes them known to us. So, for example, in John 15, 26, uh, it says that the Holy Spirit is the one who testifies to us about Jesus. Uh, Romans 5, 5 says that it's through the Holy Spirit that we can experience the love of God in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit is the way that you can have more of God. The Holy Spirit is the way we can experience God more deeply. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And these are a series of chapters in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, spiritual gifts are special abilities that are given by the Holy Spirit to believers so that they can serve one another. But uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there's a question that oftentimes comes up. And the question that oftentimes comes up is, what about the miraculous gifts? What about the miraculous gifts? Uh, some of the gifts, particularly the ones mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14, seem to involve supernatural abilities of some kind, like the ability to speak in a language you don't know, or the ability to know something about another person that they already know, but that you don't. Now, if you read the Bible, it's undeniable that in Paul's day, he's the one who wrote 1 Corinthians, it's undeniable that in Paul's day, these were real spiritual gifts that people had. And there was no other genuine explanation for them then that God is real. God exists. He gave his, those who believed in him these supernatural abilities. But the question that many people ask today is, are those gifts still around? Um, so before we get to 1 Corinthians 14, we need to consider that question ourselves. The question of, are the miraculous gifts still for today? And the answer is, yes. no, they're not. So you can all go home. It's pretty easy, wasn't it? Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tip my hand just yet, as to as to what I really think. But uh, no, that you know, <laughs> I'm not going to give you more than just a yes or no answer. Of course, I would never do that to you. I might do it to other groups, but never to this group. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're welcome. And, and tonight, one thing I want to add, um, I, I just really care that everything that we're talking about tonight is grounded in Scripture. So uh, we're going to let Scripture answer our question for us, uh, the question of whether the miraculous gifts are for today. And so using Scripture, I want to look at uh, that question in three different parts. Um, and, oh, you know, the slides made it in. You guys, you would be so proud of me. These were like the most last-minute slides that ever they have been. And we just have the most amazing people in the tech booth who just put them in there. So here, here's our three things. Here's our three things. So number one, why some say the miraculous gifts aren't for today. Then number two, why others say the miraculous gifts are for today. And then number three, so what? <laughs> okay, so uh, let's look at this the first one here. So down, down through the centuries, a lot of people have thought about tonight's question uh, in different ways, and, and typically Christians down through the centuries have come to one of two conclusions. 
One conclusion is that no, miraculous gifts are not for today. And that view is called the cessationist view because it holds that miraculous gifts ceased after the era of the apostles. That's the first view. Uh, The other view is that yes, the miraculous gifts are for today. And that view is called the continuationist view because it holds that miraculous gifts have continued into the present. Okay, so you've got cessationism, continuationism. Uh, You don't even really need to remember those, but if you're into that kind of thing, there you go. I've just given you a couple of terms. So let's just take a look at those different perspectives, and let's start with the cessationist view. Now, Now, this view has a lot to do with what cessationists believe about the purpose of the miraculous gifts. And and one place that speaks to that is in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 2, 3 and 4 says, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this passage is saying that signs, wonders, and miracles are God's way of confirming the truth of the gospel. So in the early church, the gospel was new. The gospel was new. People hadn't heard about the way of salvation through Jesus. And there was no New Testament that was floating around to give an authoritative account of who Jesus is or what Christian doctrine is. So when someone came and shared the message about Jesus... The way that you could know that it was reliable was if it had come from someone who had known Jesus, someone who'd gotten it straight from the source and could verify that that message was in line with what Jesus had said or with what Jesus had done. So that's why the author of Hebrews said that the message of salvation was confirmed to him, the author, by those who heard him. Now, by the way, this is one of the key reasons why people don't think that Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul never talks like this. If you go read Galatians, you discover that Paul is very adamant that he didn't get his gospel from any human being. He got it straight from Jesus himself. Fun fact. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, confirmation. Lost my, lost my train of thought there. Confirmation. Confirmation. And, and, and probably what he's thinking of here when he's talking about uh, having it confirmed by those who heard him, he's probably thinking of the apostles, actually. Uh, Jesus' inner circle, who had been given in, uh, unique authority to be heralds of the gospel. Now, uh, the other thing uh, that this verse says, uh, says, says something here about miracles. Now, the thing about a new message is that sometimes it can be met with skepticism, and the author of Hebrews is saying here that signs, wonders, and various miracles were God's way of showing that this new message was really from him. So you kind of think of a signpost. You know, a signpost is something that points to something else. And so like a signpost, miracles pointed to the genuineness of the apostolic message. But, the argument goes, now that the apostles have died and their teachings have been preserved for us in the Bible, those confirmatory miracles are no longer needed. The New Testament has been written and its authority has been recognized. And so we, uh, you know, we all have need, we have all that we need now for salvation and for living the Christian life. And so why would you need a signpost if you've already gotten to your destination? Miracles would only distract you from what those miracles point to. Now this argument uh, that I've been describing, uh, the cessationist view, this is especially relevant when it comes to gifts that involve speaking. 
um, like tongues or prophecy. Uh, for example, both cessationists and continuationists uh, believe that prophecy in the New Testament is the gift of delivering a message inspired by the Spirit of God. Uh, but cessationists believe that with the passing of the apostles and the completion of the New Testament, prophecy has ceased since all of God's messages that he wants us to know are preserved for us in the Bible. So that's why, for example, cessationists often point out that according to Ephesians 2.20, Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, most likely, this refers to prophets in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament, because when Paul uses this same phrase, apostles and prophets, again, in chapter 3, verse 5, it's very clear that this refers to prophets in the New Testament sense, not the Old Testament sense. But the thing is, you know, apostles and prophets were the foundation, but it's clear that there aren't any more capital A apostles. The apostles have died. So it makes sense that cessationists would argue that there aren't prophets anymore either. The foundation of the apostles and prophets has been laid through their preaching and preserved through the New Testament. So, just to kind of sum all this up, cessationists look at the miraculous gifts as establishing and confirming the true gospel message, and now that that has happened, we don't need them and they've passed away. Now, now by the way, I just want to clarify something here. Because this is how a lot of cessationists understand the gifts, most are not trying to argue that it's impossible for a miracle ever to happen again. Because, of course, God is God. I mean, he can do what he wants to do. And who would we ever think we are to say that we can put limits on, on what God can do? So, so cessationists acknowledge this, and they'll admit that sometimes miracles do happen. You know, you'll see miracles very often on the mission field. But again, since the miracles are designed to confirm the message of the gospel, it would actually make sense that we might see miracles in a place where the gospel has never gone before. But on the whole, most cessationists would say that gifts like tongues, prophecy, uh, even things like healing have either ceased or become very, very rare. Um, people are not gifted with those gifts in the way like they were in the time of the apostles. Now, just before we move on, um, let's just, I want to notice several really commendable things about this particular way of looking at things. Uh, one is that sensationists tend to put a lot of other Christians to shame in their love of Scripture and in the way that they hold so firmly to the authority of Scripture. And in fact, some of the best preachers and teachers that I know um, have held to this view. Um, another is that cessationists are right to call out certain aspects of the charismatic movement that are excessive, damaging, immature, and in very many cases, flat out unbiblical. So I'm thinking, for example, I'll, I'll just name some of those examples, uh, just flat out. I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of some of the excesses um, in the charismatic movement associated with the prosperity gospel. Um, or the teaching that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. Uh, that's not found in Scripture. And so all of those are strengths of this particular view. So that's view number one. Uh, let's look at the second thing now, though. Um, and this is the other view. So the, the, the so-called continuationist view. Why others say that the miraculous gifts are for today. Now, um, okay, at this point I am going to tip my hand and say that I'm not a cessationist. Um, I actually believe that Scripture teaches the opposite of that view that the miraculous gifts, including healing, tongues, and prophecy, will continue until the return of Christ. Not every single person here has to believe that, uh, but just, you know, I can't teach something I don't believe. <laughs> so 
So I can teach what I do believe. And, and let me just give you four arguments for why I believe Scripture teaches this, and then you can go weigh this yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go back to Scripture and let the Scripture be the final word. But let me just give you four reasons, four uh, reasons that, that I think the, the view that the gifts have continued holds weight. So number one, uh, nowhere does Scripture explicitly teach that miraculous gifts have ceased. Nowhere does Scripture explicitly teach that miraculous gifts have ceased. That's the case that I would make to you. Um, one passage that some have attempted to use in this way is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. And that's why that's on your handout tonight. And here's what it says. Let me just read it for us. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now the first thing to say about this is that in verse 8, this passage very clearly teaches that one day tongues and prophecy will pass away. See that? But the question is, when do they pass away? And that's the question that Paul answers in verse 10. And his answer is that this will happen when the perfect comes. Now we've got to ask ourselves, well, when is that? What is that? Now some have argued that the perfect, or some translations say one, one says completeness, it means the complete scriptures. So, uh, you know, the, the idea that once we have all of the authoritative teaching about Jesus preserved for us in the complete scriptures, so in other words, when the New Testament was completed, that then is saying that, you know, that, that's, that that's the completion and that therefore tongues and prophecy pass away at that point. But I want to suggest that there's two, at least two issues with that. First is that you always need to read scripture in context. And the completion of the scriptures is not present in the context of this passage. It's not talking about the Bible in that way at all. Um, and then second, I would actually put to you that the rest of the passage reveals that the perfect here actually refers to the return of Christ. And you can see that if you look at a series of parallel statements that Paul makes in verses 9 through 12. And I've actually, I've, I've kind of put it in a little graphic up here on the screen. So uh, you'll see that on the one, I don't know if you can read that very well, but you can see on the one side, um, he says, so I'll just read the top one there, we prophesy in part, but then he contrasts that with a later moment, when the perfect comes. So that's number one. And then uh, he has another contrast. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, then I put childish ways behind me. So again, there's a moment where one thing is true, and then there's a transition, and another thing is true. Well, then you've got these last two. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So you see what's going on here. In verses 11 and 12, Paul relates the ceasing of tongues and prophecy to when we will see face to face and when we shall know fully. Seeing face to face 
echoes the promise of God that once Christ returns, we will see him face to face. That's Revelation 22, verse 4. The same is true of knowing fully. So you can see how the parallel structure of these verses indicates that the perfect or completion here refers to when Jesus returns, not the completion of the New Testament scriptures. Now, it is true that something ceased at the end of the apostolic age, and that was the existence of apostles, capital A, apostles. Uh, But nowhere does scripture unambiguously teach that miraculous gifts like tongues and prophecy have completely gone away. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 13, I would suggest, actually says the opposite, that they'll only cease when perfection comes at the return of Jesus. So that's reason number one. Uh, Reason number two that I would say that miraculous gifts are for today, according to scripture, is that the Bible shows that the purpose of those gifts was far broader than merely confirming the apostles' teaching or providing authoritative doctrine before the scriptures had been completed. So just let me give you a couple examples of that. Um, In 1 Corinthians 14.3, the gift of prophecy is said to be for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. In 1 Corinthians 14.24-25, Prophecy convicts unbelievers of sin and demonstrates the reality of God. So here are two passages that teach that the miraculous gifts are not solely for confirmation. They're also for things like edification or for evangelism. And in fact, um, you kind of see something similar with the miracles of Jesus. So just think about in the Gospel of John, where the Gospel of John calls Jesus' miracles signs. And it says that they're meant to help people believe So since scripture teaches that the gifts had a variety of different purposes beyond just confirming the apostles' message, it it isn't necessarily the case, therefore, that miraculous gifts have disappeared now that those apostles have passed away. And then I'll give you two more here. Um, Or did I say two or one? I can't remember. One more? Two more? I don't know. I'll give you you this next one and see if I've got any more to say after that. (laughs) But here's a third argument, and that is... That the scriptures teach, I believe, that the miraculous gifts will continue until Christ's return. We've already seen that in one passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but let me just show you three others that seem to suggest this. First uh, is Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I don't have this one on the screen. Uh, you can turn in your Bible there if you want. But this is Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church. Uh, verses 11 and 12. And again, because of how uh, Paul uses the word prophets here um, earlier in this letter, these are almost certainly New Testament prophets that he's referring to, not Old Testament prophets. And then in verse 12, he tells you that the purpose of all these roles is to build up the body of Christ. And verse 13 says that this will happen until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So with the exception of apostleship, which the New Testament does teach has passed away, we don't have Peter and James and John around anymore, this gives us reason to assume that all of these gifts will be around to serve the purpose of building up the body until we all attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And this won't happen until Jesus comes back. Let me give you another passage. This is Acts chapter 2. This is where Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost. And he explains what happens on the day of Pentecost by going to a prophecy in the book of Joel. He says, In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now in the Bible, the phrase, the last days, refers to the period between Christ's first and second coming. If you want to just you know, see another place where that's true, just go read Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So, so that phrase refers to the period between the first and second coming. And it seems like Peter is actually thinking here, not just at the beginning of those days, but of the whole period. Because he jumps to the very end of it. I don't know if you noticed this, but he jumps all the way to when Christ returns, accompanied by these supernatural signs from heaven. So if that's the case, then it would seem that throughout the entire period, between the first and second coming, that period is characterized by the presence of supernatural gifts in the church. And then one more. This is Mark 16, 17, and 18, where Jesus says, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Now the reason I put this one last is because there are some textual issues about whether this ending of the Gospel of Mark was original or maybe it was a bit of a later edition. People are divided on that. But in any case, it says that miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. It's not limiting that explicitly to believers just in the time of the apostles. So I think there's reason to think that this is saying that these signs will be present in the church even after that time. So there are, you know, we've, we've got at least four different scriptures now that, that I would say are putting to us that these gifts will be in place until Jesus returns. So just to sum up, um, the first reason that I believe the scriptures teach that the miraculous gifts haven't ceased is that, number one, nowhere does scripture explicitly teach that they have passed away. Uh, number two, according to the Bible, the purpose of the gifts was much broader than just confirming apostolic doctrine. And then number three, the scriptures teach that we can expect the miraculous gifts will continue until the return of Jesus. Got those three there. Now, just one, one last thing I want to say before just moving on to the so what, <laughs> is that in, in the next week or two, we are going to look at 1 Corinthians 14, and it is a chapter that talks about two gifts in particular, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And one of the questions that we haven't looked at tonight, but that we will look at in subsequent weeks, is, okay, you know, let's say that there's nothing in the Bible that says that the miraculous gifts have ceased. Well, the question then that you might ask is, are the things that today people call tongues and prophecy the same as what are actually in the Bible? <laughs> you know, it's all, all good and well to say that, well, they might be out there, but are they really out there? So we'll, we'll look at that question next week. If that's a question that's on your mind, just know that we'll get to that. So now, uh, last of all, I just want to ask the so what question. Um, you know, I basically just led you through a little lecture. You know, I've been kind of like a college professor tonight. Just, you know, one view, all the, all the, the sides of that view and all the sides of this view. Um, you probably feel like you're sitting in class. You know, I hate to make you feel that way. <laughs> but uh, the question that I want to end with is, okay, well, so what? You know, why does it matter? Three quick things to say about why it matters. Uh, number one, uh, this is not really so much a, a why it matters, but maybe just something I want to encourage you in. 
Number one is just to keep asking questions. Um, it's very likely that you may still have a lot of questions about the miraculous gifts, and that's okay. Um, I mean, I think probably every Christian worth their salt ought to admit that they have questions about many things, and it's okay to have questions about this area too. <laughs> and just remember, tonight's kind of an introduction before we look at chapter 14 next week. Um, and then I also want to say that this is a secondary issue. Um, this is not an issue that Christians have to divide over. It's okay if you disagree with certain things that I've said. But again, it's not about me. Go back to the scriptures, get some people together, and study them for yourselves. So that's the first thing. Keep asking questions. And then number two, um, don't fall into a false dichotomy. Don't fall into a false dichotomy. Um, I think that sometimes there's this perspective that if you really, really, really love the Bible, then you have to be wary of miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And I think a lot of this is because Satan has been very successful in dividing up churches and even different church cultures so that you know, different people who have different strengths don't ever get to interact and meet each other, which is one of the reasons I love Thrive. <laughs> but I just want to suggest that you, know, you don't have to make a choice. You can love the Bible, and you can hold to the authority of Scripture, and you can also hold that miraculous gifts exist. At least I believe that Scripture allows you to do that. Anyone know what this is? This is an ampersand. This is an ampersand. And I just want to suggest to you that there are a lot of things in life where it seems like, you know, it has to be either this or that. And sometimes that's true. You know, either Jesus is God or he's not. <laughs> but this is, this is not one of those. This is a place where we actually ought to love the word of God so deeply that we know it like the back of our hand. And love the spirit of God so passionately that we're willing to step out in faith and allow him to move in our lives. So don't fall into a false dilemma. You know, it's been said, and this is, <laughs> this is a little cheeky. So please, you know, I'm not trying to invest the full weight of, of, you know, anything into this. But it's been said that if you only have the word of God, you dry up. If you only have the spirit of God, you blow up. But if you have both the word and the spirit of God, you grow up. Okay. So, and then one last thing. And this is really kind of the main thing that's on my heart. The, the reason for talking about this subject in the first place, are the miraculous gifts still for today, is that I just want you to receive all that God has for you. I, I am not interested in getting, you know, charismatics to become Presbyterians and Presbyterians to become charismatics or whatever. That's a false dichotomy. I, I'm not trying to, like, make people into a certain mold. All I care about is that you receive all that God has for you. And so this is a message tonight that really is just designed, in my, in my, from, in my view, just to clear the ground. <laughs> just to clear the ground so that if there are questions that you have in this area, that you can look at Scripture and allow Scripture to set the agenda um, so that there wouldn't be anything that would keep you from receiving what God has for you. And my hope and my prayer would just be, that each of us would just be willing to have an openness before God so that we can actually do what the Bible commands, by the way, that we do, which is to eagerly desire the greater gifts. So I hope that you're open to that. 
And let me just pray for us that we would be as we move into small groups. Father, just regardless of the different thoughts and and views that we each have, I just pray, Lord, that um, you would help us just look to Scripture um, as our guide and as our authority. And I pray even for myself, Lord, if there's anything that I've said tonight that needs to be brought into fuller alignment with Scripture, that you would just help me to do that and help us to do that now as we just go to small groups. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us uh, both in our at the level of mind, heart, body, soul, spirit, just an openness um, to what you want to do in our lives through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen.